Well, good morning. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. Um, I came across a, a, a quote from Charles Spurgeon this week. It says this, Oh, that all churches were abodes of love. I want that very much for, for Cornerstone. And, and I feel like there are many times when it is that. It's, it's an abode of love. But as we've seen, as we're going through 1 Corinthians, verse by verse through 1 Corinthians, we've gone through chapter 5, we've seen all of the issues that the, the people in Corinth are facing going through chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Um, there's temptations. And certainly as, as God's people, there are going to be temptations that come into our life and and and. and try to pull us away so that we begin to we get to fight for our rights right we have rights and we want those rights to be met and so then uh if those rights aren't being met then then whoever it is that we feel like stand feel like is standing in the way of us getting our way then we become critical of those people or we want to dispute with those people and there's divisions that can take place certainly that's the temptations that have come up in corinth but we're we're just as prone to those temptations and so as we go through, I want to say again, as we're going through this book of 1 Corinthians, um, I feel like, and, and maybe you've just come in recently as we picked up in the book, um, I feel like that this letter could have been written 2,000 years later to the church in America. We are struggling and dealing with the same kinds of issues and the same kinds of temptations and the same kind of culture that we see in Corinth is very much real and alive in, in the United States, but also in the church in the United States. And so we want to be wise and we want to be um, biblically minded as we go through this book. We don't want to read it as if it's about just other people. This is God's word. And, and if we're wise, we'll embrace it and, and be grown up in Christ a little bit by it so that as these temptations come and they're going to come they're already coming as these temptations come that we have a biblical grid that we're responding to temptation through rather than just wanting to get what we want to get okay so we want to be wise in that I'm going to ask you to stand I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 of uh, 1 Corinthians 6 when one of you has a grievance against another Does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. We're so grateful that you have entrusted it to us, God, and we want to listen. We want to hear from you, God. We want to grow in you. And so just as Jesus prayed for us, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. As the psalmist prayed, open our eyes that we could behold wonderful things from your law. Right now, Father, I pray for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. 
What Paul just said at the end of chapter 5, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Now he's continuing this as we go into 6. The Corinthians had neglected to fulfill their responsibility inside the church. They should have been lovingly and purposefully and seriously confronting each other on the sin that was in the body. They weren't doing that. Now, now we see in the letter that not only are they not dealing and, and being responsible to do what they've been called to do in the body, but now we see they're taking outside of the body things that should be dealt with inside the body. Paul says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Now, the culture in uh, Corinth would have been very much like the culture in Athens. And in the Greek culture, lawsuits were commonplace. Uh, so common, I mean, you, every day. You, you remember at the end of um, Acts 17 where Paul goes to Athens? You kind of you get a sense of that. You get a little bit of feel of that at the end of it where it says that they love to, d- to debate and so they just, just give us something new to talk about. Give us something new to debate. Well, that, that kind of mentality worked its way into how they would deal with disputes. And it was, it was common daily occurrences to see court cases. In fact, they, people in, in, in the Greek culture, whether it's Corinth or Athens, would go to trials to hear court cases for entertainment. Can you imagine that right now? Okay, just imagine you have vacation. Time for vacation to roll around. Guys, what are we going to do as a family this year again? I don't know. We've got a week off. We could do whatever we want to do. Why don't we go to the courthouse? You know, we could pack some sandwiches. We could go in. We could listen. Dad, we did that last year. I know, but like, I don't know if there's anything more fun that we could do than do that, right? Can you imagine, like, this is your family meeting? But that was, that's the mentality. That's what they would do for entertainment. In fact... It was, it, was, it was such a litigated society. There, there would be um, court cases daily. They would have juries of 40 people. There were, there were cases where juries would be 1,000 people to 6,000 people. Juries. Okay, can you imagine how we handle that? You've got to put them up in the Holiday Inn because they can't talk to the media. They can't talk to anyone else. You've got 1,000 people booked up in the Holiday Inn. Right. Or when when it's time, like they they they, they're sent out and they have to come to a decision. So they're going down the line. Nine hundred ninety seven guilty. Nine hundred ninety eight. I say he's guilty. Nine hundred ninety nine. I say he's guilty. One thousand. You finally get through all these people. One thousand. I don't know. Let's talk about this a little bit more. Right. Can you imagine the way that we handle things? But a thousand people to six thousand people. It was just commonplace. That was kind of their mindset. So you can, you can understand how the temptation, when you're living in, in such a litigated society like that, the temptation is then to invite that mindset into the church. And that's exactly what they had done. So that when there's, when there's difficulties, when there's disunity in the body of Christ, and I'm not getting my way, I'm not getting my rights, well, then I'll just go outside the church. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take you to court and I'll get my rights there. That's exactly what's happening in Corinth. That's what's happening in the body of Christ here. Rather than confronting on the things it should have been confronting on and dealing with the things as the body that it should have been dealing with, it's doing the opposite. There's disagreements. There's, there's, there's divisiveness that's coming up in the body. And people want what they want. They want their rights. Instead of handling things biblically, they go outside of the church. James tells us in James 4, 1 and 2, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? 
Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. What's James saying there? It's your sin. Your sin is what causes fighting. Your sin is what's causing the divisiveness. Your, your sin. Your sin is what's causing the quarrels between you and other people. That's absolutely what's happening in Corinth. We've seen as we've, we're coming through this book, chapter 1, 2, and 3, and how they struggled with pride, arrogance, wanting so badly to, to bring humanistic thinking in the body of Christ. And, and, and the words of James just ring loudly for them. It's your sin. It's your sin that's causing these things. Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 there, when you have a grievance, do you dare take your brother or sister before the world, before the unrighteous instead of saints? Just so we're clear on this, Paul is not at all saying that it is absolutely never going to, and you better not ever let it happen that you step foot into a courtroom. He's not saying that, okay? We know from from Acts 28 that that Paul himself appealed to the judicial system. Now, that wasn't a brother in Christ against a brother in Christ, and he certainly wasn't going against another believer or accusing another believer. There's a time and a place for everything. But Paul's saying, as a general principle, there is no time that is right for Christians to go to court against one another. He tells us also in Romans 13, Paul writes in Romans 13, how we are to uphold the judicial system. And he describes it saying that it's been put in place by God to bring about right and good judgments, right? So he's not saying that, that you, you better never step foot into a courtroom. There are certainly going to be uh, situations where that may have to happen. Are there exceptions? Yes. If you were on the receiving end of a lawsuit and having done all that is possible on your end to resolve the matter, you're still being brought into court, then yes, you have to go, right? By law, you have to show up. You can't. If, you're, if you receive a summons and you have to appear in court, you can't write a letter to the judge and say, I'm not going to be there. Read 1 Corinthians 6. Right? You can't do that. By law, you have to show up. And so there are certain circumstances. Maybe there's a, a case of abuse or something like that where, where someone needs a restraining order put against someone else to protect their child or to protect someone near to them. There are certain cases, certainly there are possibly exceptions to, to, to the rule, to the general principle. Certainly this is not dealing with murder. But the exceptions don't overturn the general principle, which is this. When there are disputes among those who are in Christ, we, we're to settle the matter biblically among ourselves. It's like Paul saying to them, you are washing, you're airing your dirty laundry before the world in public. How, how could you do that? Why would you do that? He, he's written already in 1 Corinthians 1 to this, these same people, okay? This is a letter to the same people. To these people who are taking each other into the court and settling their differences in court rather than in the body of Christ. He says this to those people in chapter 1, verse 5. You were enriched in Christ, in all speech and all knowledge. 
Those people. You were enriched in Christ in all speech and all knowledge. Two verses later, he says of the same people. You are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two chapters later, chapter 3, verse 16, he says to the same body of believers, do you not know that you are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in you? So, so here's, here's the point here. In chapter 6, verse 1 through 8, you're enriched in Christ, by Christ, enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. You're not lacking in any spiritual gift. As the body of Christ, you're not lacking in any spiritual gift, Paul says. So that means that someone in the body in Corinth is gifted, at least someone is gifted with discernment, and someone's gifted with the gift of wisdom, right? So you're not lacking in any spiritual gift, and as the body of Christ, you're the temple of God, and God's spirit dwells in you as his people. And you can't figure this out. And, and you dare take this division and this issue between two people or however many people, you dare take that to people who don't have those things, who aren't enriched in Christ, who aren't gifted with spiritual gifts, who don't have the Holy Spirit in, inside of them. It doesn't, that doesn't even make sense, Paul's saying. But how would we dare go before people who don't have Christ to solve an issue when he's equipped you and, 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 and gifted you and, and filled you with his spirit? He goes on in verses 2 through 4. He says, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that We are to judge angels how much more than matters pertaining to this life. So, if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Do you not know, he says, that we are to judge angels? And when Christ returns, the believers in some way will be sitting with him on his throne? And assisting in some way with judging both the world and angels. I'm going to tell you, honestly, I don't know what that looks like. I'm not sure what that's going to... I know it it sounds pretty awesome. Okay? There. There's my doctrine of judging angels and the world. That's where I'm at. I don't know what it's going to look like, but it's something that I anticipate will be pretty amazing. Right? So I don't know how that fleshes out. I know that Revelation 3.21 says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. I know that Jesus says to the twelve apostles in Matthew 19.28 that for them they will have twelve thrones which they will judge from. But I don't know how that works for us. I just know that it's promised that we're going to be a part of judging the world and judging angels. Somehow we're going to participate in those judgments. Matthew Henry says this about this, these, these verses. They, those who are in Christ, they themselves are indeed to be judged. Now Matthew tells us that in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 41. Read through that and we're going to be judged. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 
They themselves, those in Christ, are indeed to be judged that they may first be acquitted and then advance to the bench to approve and applaud the righteous judgment of Christ both on men and angels. Beautiful. As those in Christ, we will stand before him and in Christ we will be acquitted and welcomed to him. And then somehow we will participate in his righteous judgment of both the world and of angels. Phenomenal. I I don't know what that's going to be like, what that's going to feel. I don't know what that's going to look like. But I know that it's promised and it's going to be amazing. And what Paul is saying is, if you are people who have been equipped, who have been enriched, who have been given the Holy Spirit. Oh, and by the way, you're going to participate in the judgments of Christ, the righteous judgments of Christ. You're going to judge the world. You're going to judge angels. And you can't, in the body of Christ, work out these differences. You can't, in the body of Christ, figure these things out. These things are trivial they're silly compared to what you're going to be a part of in judging the world and judging angels. How, how, can you not, how could you not figure this out? How, how could in the body that has been gifted with the Holy Spirit, how, how, how is this happening? If we're set apart so that we'll reign with Christ, then certainly he has gifted us and equipped us to settle these things. If the world, he says, is to judge, to be judged by you, are you incompetent? to try trivial cases. If you're to judge angels, how much more than matters pertaining to this life? So, verse 4, if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Why do you take them to those who are apart from Christ? Why do you air your dirty linens before the world? He goes on in verse 5, he says, I say this to your shame, Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? Is that possible, Paul's saying? I say this to your shame. He he says earlier in in chapter 1, starting with verse 27, says, but God, verse 27, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So Paul said to them, you've been set apart by Christ. You're nothing. You're you're nobodies. Isn't that beautiful? You're nobodies. Isn't that what you came for this morning? If you're a visitor here this morning, I want to welcome you and just let you know. If you're in Christ, you're nobody apart from him. It's wonderful news. And he saved you as a nobody to shame the world. And rather than being the body of Christ that he set apart to shame the world, you, you ought to be shamed. You're shaming yourselves, Paul says to Corinth. You should be ashamed. Now, just so that we're cautious on this, he's not, Paul's not in any way saying that we handle this carelessly. He's not saying that it doesn't matter. He's not saying that we allow for carelessness as it pertains to handling disputes. He's not saying that at all. He says here in verse 5, Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? He's not saying it doesn't matter. 
He's not saying that there won't be disputes. He's not saying that when the disputes come that we shouldn't handle them wisely. He's, he's absolutely saying we should handle them with wisdom. That's the point. Isn't there someone wise enough? Aren't there brothers or sisters wise enough among you who can help? You're equipped. You're equipped for that. Now, why is it that we're equipped rather than judges for disagreements? Why is it that Paul would say to the church in Corinth, you're equipped to handle that rather than the, the ju- judicial system? Well, chapter 1, verse 5, because he's enriched you with wisdom. Chapter 1, verse 7, because, because he's gifted you with spiritual gifts. Chapter 3, because he's given you his Holy Spirit. And also, because we have God's word. We have divine truth. We have absolute truth. So that if someone comes to us and says, look, this brother and I have an issue, and we just can't settle it, and I'm ticked at him, and he's ticked at me, and, and we need your help. We need wisdom. We have absolute truth. So that those who are assisting and those who are wise to give counsel in the body of Christ can point to God's word and say, look, this is what God's word says. And he gives us hope that there might be healing and reconciliation. So it's not like we we handle these things carelessly or we don't handle them at all. No, we handle them with wisdom and, and caution. But when we do, when we settle our own disputes, we give testimony of our resources and of our unity, of our harmony as the body of Christ. We give testimony of humility in Christ before the world. But if we take our issues outside to a public court, Paul's saying is our testimony is, is ruined. goes on in verse 6 he says but brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers that's not how the body of christ should work that's not what it's set apart to be you're called to display christ you're called to be growing up in love so paul writes in ephesians 4 gives us such a wonderful picture of the body in ephesians 4 he says "I've, i've given you or he gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's what we ought to be doing. That's what the church in Corinth should have been doing, maturing and growing, building each other up in love so that we're a picture, an abode, as as Charles Spurgeon says, an abode of love, a place of love, love that's empowered by the love of Christ, that's gifted by God to us, that we would be an abode of that. That's not what he sees. 
And he's shocked as he says to them, brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. He finishes this off. He says to every, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Paul says that just the fact that you went to court, you're defeated. The moment you took it outside of the body of Christ, you're already defeated, no matter the outcome. Whether you get your rights or not, whatever you're awarded, no matter what, you have already been defeated. Why? Because it's not about you. It's about Christ. It's, it's not, you're not called to display you to the world. You're called to display Christ to the world. It's about His holiness and that He set you apart. It's about being a people who are set apart by Him and for Him. We're called as, as His people to unity and to love and to be building each other up in the, that love. When we go outside of the body, when we go after each other in court, it displays disunity and only love for self. Oh, we, we, we're there for me. I'm going there for me. I'm trying to build myself up in love. So Paul says it would be better for you to suffer wrong. It would be better for you to be defrauded. Willingly? Absolutely willingly. Just as we've been saying all the way through chapter 5, Jesus, Jesus matters that much that we would even be willing to be defrauded. We would even be willing to be wronged for the sake of Christ. Why not see the disagreement as an opportunity to display Christ and obey Christ? And why not call on others in the body to come and help you settle the disagreement for God's glory and not our own? And then if it can't be settled, if you if you come before your brother or sister and it just can't be settled and and maybe you're doing what you can to settle it, but they're not. Then why not just say for the sake of Christ and for his glory, I'd rather be wrong. I'd rather be defrauded so that Christ is honored through. That's what Paul's saying. Why not suffer wrong for Christ? Isn't he worth it? Absolutely he's worth it. As we've been going through this, and working through chapter 5, and as we continue to go through chapter 6 and 7, there's, there's going to be things that I, I mentioned. My, my hope, my desire is as we go through this that we see how holy God is, but we also see the beauty of the church for the body of Christ. And what a blessing to be a part of the body of Christ that Paul could write something like this. I mean, don't you realize what you're a part of? That's what Paul is saying here. Don't you, don't you understand? Don't you see what you're a part of as, as the body of Christ? Do you understand what it ought to look like? I think one of, the, one of the most wonderful pictures of what we as the body of Christ ought to look like is in Romans 12. Go ahead and turn there just, just to follow along with me there. Romans 12, starting with verse 9. I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. He writes, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. 
Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then just a couple verses from chapter 15. He goes on in 15 verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That's what the body of Christ is to look like. And when the body of Christ is functioning like that, then it makes total sense to look at 1 Corinthians 6 and say, yes, obviously this is how we deal with disunity in the body and when disagreements come up this obviously we we don't go outside of the body we we go to other brothers and sisters who've been gifted with the holy spirit let's work through this together but here's here's honestly the truth is i don't think anyone would say here i don't really want to be a part of a body like that i mean all of us want to be a part of a body like that when we come in we want to be forgiven We want others to live peaceably with us. We want others to to outdo others in showing honor to us. We we want that. I mean, we want to be a a part of a body where we're receiving the benefits of Christ working through others and and, and all that, that Paul lays out in Romans 12 and Romans 15. We want to be a part of that. We want to receive that. And to be totally honest, we don't like it when we don't receive that. When we come in and we don't feel like, man, this isn't as loving of a body as I wish it was because, I mean, no one did anything for me. But the truth is, if we want to be a part of a body like this, it starts with me. That is, Paul's writing through this in Romans 12 that I'm called to let love be genuine. That begins with me because of Christ. It begins with Christ working through me. That I... Abhor what is evil. I hold fast. I love with brotherly affection. I seek to outdo others in showing honor. It it starts with me. Do we see it that way? Do we believe the gospel that way? Do we believe that Christ has set us apart and equipped us? It's possible in Christ to walk and live together in the body of Christ like this. It's possible because of Christ. Do we believe that? And, and as Peter has said in 1 Peter 1, because we're holy then, are we setting out to live 
holy in all of our conduct. I mean, this is a set-apart life, right? I mean, to be a part of a body like Romans 12, that's set-apart. That's, that's holy. That's, that's different than the rest of the world, right? So isn't that what then Peter means when he says, be holy in all of your conduct, be set apart in your conduct? Actually, live as Christ has made you holy and righteous and blameless? That's, that's what he's meaning. We have, to, we have to be that. By the power of the Spirit, we walk in that newness of life. This starts with me. What Paul's saying here in Romans, what he's saying in 1 Corinthians 6, is no different than what Jesus said. Remember in, in Luke 10 when Jesus says, um, second greatest commandment is like the first, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And someone says, well, who's my neighbor? He goes through and tells the story of the good Samaritan, right? You think of those two people, the Samaritan and this guy laying on the ground. They're going to have disputes in everyday life. They're going to have differences. Here's the thing we have to realize, okay? Just, I mean, we could take some time and kind of mingle around and ask some questions if we wanted to, and, and, and I assure you we come to the same point that I'm about to, to make right now, okay? We're all sinners, okay? You're sitting next to someone who's messed up. Apart from Christ, we're going to blow it, okay? So there you go. Another encouragement for this morning, all right? That's who we are, and guess what happens when you put a bunch of sinners in a body together, Maybe not on purpose, but they sin. And they offend. And it gets dirty and messy. But what it means to walk in Christ is to do exactly what Paul has laid out in 1 Corinthians 5 and 1 Corinthians 6. That when we have differences, we're not going outside of the body. No, we love because Christ loved us. And so we're seeking reconciliation with our brother and sister because we love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. So what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5. He's going through the Sermon on the Mount and he says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, don't resist the one who's evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Doesn't that sound exactly like what Paul's saying? Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded so that Christ is glorified? Are we committed to walk a life that's holy in conduct so that when those disputes and differences happen in the body, and they're going to happen, that we will first seek reconciliation and as much as is possible with us, we'll live peaceably with all men. As it's on me, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'll seek other counsel. I'll, I'll bring people from the body in. We're going to work this out because we want Christ to be glorified. We're going to work this out. But even if this brother or sister in Christ is sitting across and you have someone come in and they're giving counsel and you're at the, everything you are, you're trying to live peaceably, but the person across from you is like, I'm not budging. You're wrong. Then are we going to be a people who walk for the glory of Christ and would be willing to say, even as Paul's saying here in 1 Corinthians 6, I'd rather be wronged. I'd rather be defrauded than Christ be wronged, than Christ be defrauded. And so, as Christ has commanded me to, I forgive you. I love you. I want to walk in love with you. And I want to glorify Christ as a part of his body. 
Are we willing and, and, and we're called certainly, are we willing to be obedient to Christ in matters like that? We're a holy people. Jesus made us that. He set us apart. He's credited us with his perfect righteousness. He's called us to surrender. Remember, that's, that's how we come to Christ. He said, if anyone's going to come to me, let him deny himself. And take up a cross and follow me. That's surrender. That's surrendering our everything to him, including our rights, the same rights that cause us to be divided and to take someone to court. We've surrendered those to Christ so that we're living for his glory now and not for our own. Is that how we're walking? Is that how we're living out this salvation that he's credited to us, that he's gifted us with? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your truth. Thank you for your love. Thanks for your mercy that you have lavished on us, Lord. Your grace that you have poured out on us. Thanks for Jesus. Thank you for coming and taking on yourself, taking on yourself the punishment that we deserve. May we follow you in that example. And when disputes and disagreements come up, may we seek to be like you, Jesus, and take upon ourselves the shame and take upon ourself the suffering, Lord, for your glory. Maybe you, you be honored through us as a body. And I pray as I've prayed going through chapter 5, I pray again, would you protect us, Father? Apart from you, Jesus, we can do nothing. Would you protect us and help us would you guard us against the arrogance that would rise up in us, the pride that, that tries to seek its own way in us so that when someone offends us or disunity, disagreements come up, we just want to win? Father, would you protect us from that? Would you help us to be a body, Lord, that displays Christ, that displays the gospel? Would you help us be a people who are humble and contrite in spirit, who tremble at your word, would you help us to walk holy lives in all conduct? For your glory, God. Not that we would be glorified as a body, but that you would be glorified through this body. In Christ's name, amen.